This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Well, I hope you applauded wherever you are because that is something to applaud about. You know, in the good times and bad, God is still on the throne. And that is amazing news. Well, again, thank you for, for joining us. And uh, it's just amazing that we can connect together. And uh, I'm really excited about sharing God's Word with you, not because the message is great, but God's Word is great. And go ahead and uh, open your Bibles to, uh, to 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want to talk to you about the, the subject today, what to do when you are in limbo. And I looked up the word limbo just to make sure I was using it correctly. But the word limbo means to be in an uncertain situation or an uncertain circumstance, which I I think accurately describes our lives today. I I mean, most everything from our routines, our finances, our, our relationships, even our church attendance is up in the air right now. And what should have been an exciting season where seniors, high school Seniors, college seniors um, would graduate. All of those events are, are being postponed. My, my wife, um, the past two and a half years, has been working so hard on her master's degree, and she was supposed to graduate in two weeks. So the first week of May, we had a trip scheduled to her college in Denver where she could walk across the stage and receive her diploma. And just a little bit of information that she wouldn't dare tell you, but she got straight A's and uh, not bad for, and we won't tell her age, but we'll just say not bad for a 39-year-old lady. Um, but that graduation is in limbo, postponed uh, at least until November and, and maybe longer. You know, the Christian school, the, the, the public school, same thing, reschedule graduation dates. And then 26 members of our church were scheduled to go on a mission trip the first week in June to the border between California and Mexico that whole trip is off now. Rescheduled date is in limbo, uh, perhaps a year away. I was to perform a wedding right here, uh, the, the first part of June, and the wedding's in limbo. The couple, they're looking at a potential reschedule date in August. But it seems like every bit of normalcy has been stripped away from our lives. And, and so what do we do when our lives are in a state of limbo, uncertain of most everything. Well, thankfully, the Bible has a story that will help us. And again, grab your Bibles or your phones or your tablets, your devices, open them to 1 Kings 17. And even though 1 Kings took place nearly 3,000 years ago, we will find that the advice applies to us during the COVID-19 crisis. And this lesson will bring a man to the forefront that was in limbo. He had been stripped of pretty much every bit of normalcy. He had been stripped of his financial security. He had been stripped of his comfort. He had been stripped of any social interaction with friends and family. But God used all of those difficult circumstances to shape him into a godly man, which leads me to say this. I I believe during this time in which many things have been stripped away from us as well, 
God also wants to use this time of uncertainty to shape us, each one of us, into godly people. Now, as we talk about the matter of being godly, I think it's safe to say that probably all of us have a goal to be godly. I know I do. I also know I haven't arrived yet, but that's my goal. And and I think that probably all of you would say the same thing. But when we talk about godliness, one of the problems is that godliness is tough to measure. We we say, okay, so-and-so is a godly person, why do you say that? How do you measure godliness? Do they have to pray an hour a day? Do they have to read the Bible through in a year? Do they have to go to the encounter a couple of times a year? Can they be godly if they smoke? Can they be godly if they drink or chew or snort? Or shoot up? Can they be godly if they have a felony on their record? Can they be godly if they have a misdemeanor on their record? Can they be godly if they don't tithe? Can can they be godly if they've broken the law? And have gotten a speeding ticket? So so when you say, well, so-and-so is a godly person... How do you quantify godliness? How do you measure godliness? Well, when it comes down to it, I I don't think we as humans have the ability to accurately determine godliness. Because all we can do is look on the outside. And, And so I can fake you out and you can fake me out. But having said that, there are men and women that as we look at their lives... Even though we may not be able to 100% determine godliness, yet I think there are those times that our spirit bears witness to the fact that someone indeed has a special relationship with God. And today, the man that we want to study, his name is Elijah. He had that special relationship with God. But, but, Elijah didn't start out with the reputation of being godly. So our lesson takes place in the ninth century before the birth of Christ. And this particular period of history was a very wicked time. The northern kingdom of Israel, and in fact, let me just, I guess, back up and say that the country of Israel had come out of Egypt and of course, they'd wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they'd finally gotten settled in the promised land, or, or the country that we now call Palestine or, or Israel. But after about 400 years or so of, of being in the promised land, they went through a civil war, and they split into two separate nations. The, the southern part of Israel became known as Judah. The northern part of Israel kept the name Israel. Now, even though both kingdoms strayed away from God, the northern kingdom took wickedness to a new level. For example, at one point in their history, they had 19 consecutive wicked and ungodly leaders stretching, spanning about a 200-year period. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Not just 19 weak and ineffective leaders, but 19 consecutive wicked, ungodly leaders stretching the equivalent, nearly the equivalent, 
of our entire nation's history. Wickedness at its worst. And one of the most wicked kings during Elijah's time was, was a king named Ahab. But as wicked as he was, he was probably outdone by his wicked wife. You will recognize her name, Jezebel. They were quite the couple. They deserved each other. Just like some of you probably deserve each other as well. But, but the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel and, and the country of Israel caused God to reach his breaking point. One thing you'll learn in the Bible is that God is a patient God. He's a loving God. The Bible says that God is slow to anger, but there comes a point where God gets his fill and he says, enough is enough. And, and his patience turns into anger and, and he pours out judgment on wickedness. We see this in the history of different empires. You know, when the level of wickedness reached a certain point, powerful empires that seemed as if they would stand forever began to unravel. For, for example, people thought that the Persian Empire would stand forever, and it did stand for a couple of centuries. But after those 200 years of wickedness, God allowed it to collapse. People thought that the Roman Empire would always rule the world, and it was a long-standing empire. It stood 500 years, but, but the time came that the back was broken on this powerful empire. And even though the eastern part of the Roman Empire, commonly referred to as the Byzantine Empire, continued on for a time afterwards, yet the Roman Empire became a has-been. This concept carries over as well to the lives of men and women. God many times will be patient with our waywardness, but, but there is a line of wickedness that we can cross where it's as if God pulls his protective hand from us and says, you're on your own, buddy. So how did God deal with this wicked society during Elijah's day? Well, honestly, if I would have been an advisor to, to God on, on God's cabinet, my, my way to take care of the wicked society would have been to ask God to raise up 100,000, maybe 200,000 godly men and women to basically say, bless God, this is a new day. We will no longer tolerate your sinful ways anymore. You're going to shape up or ship out but God didn't choose that way. Instead, God did what he so often did through history and still does today. He, he chose to deal with the wickedness by raising up one person to take a stand. And, and let me call a time out for a moment and say this. In our country, in America, the spiritual turnaround that we would like to probably like to see probably won't come about because of the 50 million, at least that's what they say, 50 million born-again believers that we have that supposedly belong to 330,000 churches in our country. I, I don't think the turnaround will, will happen with 50 million believers uniting because there's so much division in the church today. You know, churches are are so busy squabbling over styles of music or they're, they're trying to steal members from each other. And I, I don't anticipate the church is going to unite around the goal of seeing spiritual renewal in America. But I'm wondering if God won't choose to raise up some Elijahs. One person here, another person there. For example, God may raise up a teenage girl to take a stand and say no to alcohol and no to sex before marriage, and that have a ripple effect in the school. 
God may raise up a young business leader to take a stand for integrity and that have a ripple effect in the company. And God may raise up one person to go into politics to take a stand for the baby in the womb and that have a ripple effect in Congress. God may raise up one person in each church that is completely consecrated to God and that have a ripple effect in the church. God often does his work, catch this, through one person. And that's the way that God chose to combat the wicked world during which Ahab and Jezebel were leaders. God raised up Elijah. But the problem was that when Elijah came onto the scene, he wasn't ready to lead the country back to God. And so our lesson today shows us what God had to do with Elijah. He had to take him into a state of limbo to shape him and prepare him for the major task of renewal and revival in that country. So let's pick up our reading, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. This is where we meet Elijah for the very first time. And at this point, Elijah is a nobody. So Scripture simply presents him as where he's from. It, it, it reads like this. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead. It would be like saying, well, Joe Trussell is originally from La Paz, Bolivia. That's where my parents lived when I was born. So uh, Elijah was... From a place in the middle of nowhere called Tishbe. Now, that description of Elijah will change by the end of our, our time together. But right now, Elijah is a nobody from Tishbe in Gilead. He told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God whom I worship and serve. Listen, this is quite an announcement. There will be no dew or rain during the next few years, unless I give the word. Now, I was thinking about how this announcement from Elijah about no rain, because this was an agricultural economy, it would result in an economic disaster, very similar to the one that we're in right now. And think about this for a moment. Who would have ever thought, I'm serious, who would have ever thought that a virus would shut down our nation. I mean, those who thrive on conspiracy theories, uh, they might have possibly rehearsed in their minds what might bring our nation down. You know, everybody used to say, well, the communists will take over, and, and now that's changed. Well, the, the Muslims are going to take over or, 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 or whatever. But, but I, I venture to say that nobody came up with the theory that a novel virus never before discovered, that more than likely originated from an animal and, and originated from, at least for those of us in Eldorado Springs, from a previously never heard of city in China, Wuhan City, China, that according to Google, and I looked this up, is 7,374 miles from Eldorado Springs. Who would have ever thought that a virus would shut down our schools, would shut down our churches, would bring about an economic slow down as well as a stay-at-home order from our governor? Who would have ever come up with that in their wildest conspiracy, conspiracy theories? Well, Elijah's announcement of, of no rain until you hear from me basically thrust Israel into not just an economic slowdown, but it put them in an economic shutdown. Now, in our minds, 
after Elijah made this announcement, we would think that God would immediately thrust him into the forefront, actively use him to bring the country back to God. But instead of that approach, God did something with Elijah that that was so strange. You know what he did? He sent Elijah into a state of limbo. And remember the definition of of limbo? It's a place of uncertainty. and, And some other secondary meanings are, it's a forgotten place, an ignored place. And God told Elijah to go hide. Kind of like our stay-at-home order of go hide in your homes. Okay, so in verse 1, Elijah said, no more rain until I say so. And then immediately in verse 2, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. Now the word Kareth in the Hebrew means to cut off or cut down. You could almost sense that God was saying, Elijah, I'm going to take you through a season of uncertainty, a season where you're going to be in limbo. During this season, I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you privately so later on I can use you publicly. And and Elijah, it's important for you to know this. During this season, even though you're in the center of my will, yet you will be cut off from your friends and family. Does that remind you of anything? Like maybe us today? You know, I talk about this from time to time, but they say that um, leadership experts say that, you know, we forget things after 21 days, and so we need to keep repeating those things that are important. In fact, that's why those of us that are no longer as young as we used to be, we just repeat things over and over. It's not because we forget. It's just for emphasis, okay, just so that you know that. But, but anyway, there's a false theology floating around, and, and they try to make Christianity out to be all honey and no bees. They, they, they try to say that if you follow God and have enough faith, your life will be all good. And that, my friends, is junk theology. God does promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. God also does promise us blessings. But he tells us in this life, in this world, you will have trouble. At times, it is God's will for us to go to the Kareth Ravine, to go through seasons of aloneness and uncertainty. And who knows, but maybe God has allowed the coronavirus so that we will be cut down and humbled and have our pride stripped away and and be led to the Kareth Ravine where he can get our attention and, and shape us into, some, into people that have some spiritual depth. I hesitate to tell this story because I might get fired, but uh, I, I guess you're, you're curious what I was going to say, so I'll go ahead. But I'm, I'm reminded I heard this story, and I'm sure you've heard it as well. A little bird was flying south for the winter, story is, is, is gross, sad, and funny at the same time. And I guess those are three great elements of a good story, gross, sad, and funny. But um, this little bird flying south, he got a late start and, uh, you know, for the winter and late in the season. And before he got far enough south, he got caught in a snowstorm. And, and the, the snow and the sleet was so fierce, it got on his little wings. And, and they started to freeze, and it affected his ability to fly. And all of a sudden, he came in for a crash landing right in the middle of a cow pasture. And, and the little birdie just resigned himself to the fact that he was going to freeze to death. And, 
Well, as the story would have it, a cow happened to come along, and, and yes, the gross part of the story is that that cow just dumped on him. And, 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 and as the load fall from the cow falls on this little birdie, the, the bird says, you know, I thought freezing to death was bad enough, but now I'm going to freeze to death in this stuff. But all of a sudden, the warmth of the manure caused this, his little frozen body to thaw out, and, and, and he started to shake his little wings, and, and, and he began to have some hope that he might live after all, and he got excited and started to chirp with joy, and chirp, 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 and well, as fate would have it, one of Satan's little helpers called a cat heard the chirping and showed up and killed and ate that poor little birdie. There are three lessons from this story that deep theologically. Lesson number one, everyone who dumps on you is not necessarily your enemy. Lesson number two, I told you this is deep stuff. Everyone who digs you out is not necessarily your friend. Lesson number three, when you're in manure, keep your mouth shut. And again, I may lose my job. It's been nice knowing you. Uh, but, but some of you right now, you say, man, my wings are frozen. I've been dumped on. I'm living in the Kareth Ravine. COVID-19 is breaking me and, and causing me to be filled with anxiety. Just remember that God may be allowing you to go through this season to teach you something that you possibly could not learn any other way. A.W. Tozer, that great writer, said this, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. So for all of us, as we find ourselves, at least in a sense, in the Kareth Ravine, remember God may have led us here to do a deep work within us. Let's continue reading. Elijah's in the Kareth Ravine. God tells him in verse 4, drink from the brook and, and eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord had told him and camped beside Kareth Brook. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, the first thing I would say here is, is maybe non-spiritual, but for those of you who choose the vegan lifestyle, I am so happy for you. I, I support you. But did you notice the menu that God put together for Elijah? Bread and meat. Did, did you hear that? Meat. Meat. Wherever you are, on the count of three, would you say the word meat with me? Okay, one, two, three, meat. Praise be to the God in heaven for the amazing menu that included meat. But on a more spiritual note, here's Elijah, all by himself in the middle of a drought. But God in his mercy causes this brook to flow so he has water. God dispatches his heavenly catering service. And some ravens go out, find bread and meat. I guess the restaurants were closed like they are today. It was just carry out only. But every morning, every evening, they deliver the food straight to Elijah. What do you think God is illustrating here? I think he was showing us that no matter how, things, how, how bad things got, God would be faithful to provide for him. And that speaks to us today. You know, as, as we go through this time of being in limbo, and as our stay-at-home 
stay-at-home order extends from three weeks to five weeks, maybe more. And should our economic slowdown, that's where we are right now, but should it become an economic shutdown, God promises that He will take care of us. You know, what I'm reading today is that in our country there are many people, even some who we would consider to be people of financial means, they find themselves in a position they're not used to. Have you ever thought about Branson? Branson is shut down, and some of these entertainers, they're not used to this. They're, they're shut down, and, and uh, you know, many people have overspent, even though they had great income, they've overspent, and, and so never in the past have they struggled paying their bills, but they are today. But I believe during this time that, that God is trying to teach us to totally depend on Him, even when our normalcy is, is turned upside down, even when financially things are looking bleak, God will always be faithful to us. And, and here's the interesting thing. God didn't give Elijah a stimulus check of $1,200. He didn't even give him a week's worth of food. In fact, at one time, God didn't give him a day's worth of food. How much... Did God give him enough for the morning? And then the ravens came back again with food for that evening. For those who are struggling financially, God says, I will be your provision for today. For those who feel weak, God says, I will be your strength for today. For those who are full of anxiety, God says, I will be your peace for today. For those of you that are in a season of grieving over a loss, guess what God says? I will be your comfort for today. For those that feel alone because you can't have the normal contact with your friends, God says, I will be your friend for today. Each day, God will give you a new batch of peace and provision. He will be your daily bread. So do you see what is happening with Elijah during this time of being in limbo? God is breaking him. God is cutting him down. He's humbling him. He's teaching him to depend on him. And Elijah doesn't realize this. But this is shaping him into a godly man that can be used in an incredible way a little later on. Let's keep studying this account. Up to now, things have been tough for Elijah, but they've been tolerable. He's been alone. He's roughing it. But there's plenty of food, plenty of water. It could be worse. And sure enough, it does get worse. Because in verse 7, it says, But after a while, the brook dried up. Uh Uh-oh. Now, let's put ourselves in Elijah's place. He's been by this ravine for several weeks, maybe even some scholars feel like several months. God has led him there. This is not Elijah that's wanting to experience nature and get away from people and go on a camping trip. God has led him to this spot to hide, but now the brook dries up. In my mind, I would probably be thinking, okay, God, what's going on? I, did I miss something? D- did I miss your will by coming here? I thought the center of your will always brought good things. Well, Elijah is going to learn that God not always 
but at times allows the brook to dry up to get us to move on to the next assignment that he has for us. And I think the truth is, and it's already been said, some of you may feel that your brook has dried up. You used to have this nest egg, now you just have a nest. Or, or maybe you just have an egg. You used to have a 401k, now it's a 201k. You used to have all of these good friends, and during the week, and even on Sunday, you would enjoy that time with them. Now you feel so disconnected. You, you feel your brook has dried up. Now, a lot of times we will say, well, God guides by what he provides, and that certainly can be true, but, but I believe that God often guides by what he does not provide. That the same God who gives water may cause the brook to dry up to force us to take the next step of obedience. And so when the brook dried up, God got Elijah's attention, gave him the next set of instructions in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. There's a widow there who will feed you. I have given her my instructions. So Elijah's probably scratching his head saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing. You told me to announce the country that, to the country that it wouldn't rain for a couple of years. You sent me into hiding. You provided food and water for me. But then all of a sudden the brook dried up. And, and of all things, now you're telling me to go to a widow and she'll feed me. God had a plan. I know this dates me. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen Karate Kid. There's Mr. Miyagi, that, that little guy that seems so strange, but he's got so much wisdom. And, and those of you that are fossils like I am, you remember the scene where young Daniel goes to Mr. Miyagi and says, you know, teach me to fight. And Mr. Miyagi says, well, okay, first paint my fence. And, and Daniel does his best, but Mr. Miyagi says, no, no, Dan- Daniel, son. Uh, he said, paint, paint like this. And he uses motions that will help him with some karate moves. And, and Daniel thinks this is just, you know, dumb. And Mr. Miyagi says, okay, Daniel son, wash my car. And, and he starts washing. Mr. Miyagi said, no, no, Dan- Daniel son, wash on, wash off. Remember, wash on, wash off. And, and then scrub my floor. And, and uh, Daniel the whole time is thinking, Mr. Miyagi, I just want to learn how to fight. I don't want to paint. I don't want to wash your car. I don't want to scrub your floor. But he follows instructions. And finally, Mr. Miyagi says, okay, time to learn to fight. And because of the painting motion and, and because of the washing, the scrubbing motion, Daniel is able to block punches and it starts to come together. And with Elijah, there was a plan, even though it didn't make sense at the beginning. I mean, going into hiding at the Kareth Ravine, being fed by the ravens, <clears throat> then the brook dries up. All of this has been part of God's plan to learn some lessons And now God moves him to Zarephath, maybe a hundred miles or so away. And as he arrives in Zarephath, he sees a widow. And Elijah humbles himself and he says, ma'am, I'm really thirsty. Could you give me some water to drink and maybe a little snack because I'm really hungry? And the widow looks at him and possibly says, are you the only guy that doesn't know that there's a drought here? I'm a widow, I've got one son, I came out here to get some sticks, and I've got a little bit of flour left, a little bit of oil in the jug, that's all I've got. We're going to eat the last meal, then we're going to die together. But because of what God has been doing in Elijah's life, he's learned how God is faithful, and so he says, ma'am, you're not going to die. The flour that you have will not run out, and the jar of oil will not run dry. Just go bake me some biscuits. 
and she does. And they ate the biscuits. The flour did not run out. The oil did not run dry. And they ate, and they ate for weeks and months. God again supernaturally provided for Elijah. Well, one day, those of you that know this account, tragedy struck. The son died mysteriously, and the widow freaked out because her son was all she had. And, but Elijah, because of being in the season of limbo, God had taken him through, did something that up to this point possibly had never happened in history. At least there's no record of it in the Bible. Elijah takes this dead boy, looks up to heaven and says, God, I know you can heal this boy, and I'm asking you to do it. And God raises the dead boy to life. And we don't have time to follow this great story. But by now, Elijah is ready. God has taken him to the Kareth Ravine to a state of uncertainty, stripped from him every bit of comfort and normalcy. But he's learned the lessons he needed to. And and shortly thereafter, because he's learned the lessons, Elijah is ready. And he's thrust into the forefront of the nation. And remember that great battle on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah. God had prepared him to now lead the nation back to God. Now, as we wrap things up here, remember how Elijah was introduced in in, in verse 1? Elijah was described as Elijah from Tishbe. Where's that? Who is that? 24 verses later. Look at how his identity has changed. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. So, Elijah went from a nobody from Tishbe to a man of God. Let let me give you the application and I'll let you go. God God may be allowing us to go through the Kareth Ravine, or or today we call it the COVID-19 virus, so that one day, instead of people just saying, well, there's Joe Trussell, you know, the preacher from the Holiness Church in Eldorado Springs, I hope they can say, oh, oh, there's Joe Trussell. You know, he's not perfect, kind of rough around the edges, and, and he gets on my nerves on occasion, but I know he is a man of God. And I pray that When people look at you, that they would not just say, well, they're so-and-so, and and they're from Eldorado Springs, or they're from Harwood, or Cedar Springs, or Shell City, wherever, but that they would look at you and say, I see it. I see it. You are truly a man of God. You're truly a woman of God. And you know, after we come out of this crisis, out of our own Kareth Ravine. I'm so excited to see how God will use all of us. You, me, use us to greatly impact our church and community and our nation for Jesus Christ. So let's learn our lessons well. Let's not miss 
what God is trying to do within us during this season. The season of limbo, uncertainty, being cut down, being humbled. Let's learn our lesson well because I believe God is positioning us right now to make us people of God that can have an impact to change our community for Jesus. Let's pray together. God, would you do a supernatural work in all of us? Especially during this time as we find ourselves in a season at the Kareth Ravine. God, we call out to you. Lord, for some, the brook has dried up. The things they used to trust in are not there anymore. Would you help us to trust you? God, would you give us perseverance to endure any tests and trials? And God, whenever you take away that which is comfortable to us, may we be obedient to follow you. Lord, I pray that this whole experience would not be wasted, but I pray that when we come out of this as a church, Lord, as a community, as a nation, that we would then be positioned uniquely to make a difference for Jesus Christ. So God, I ask that you would help us to learn our lessons well. Instead of being critical of our government, critical of our health officials, critical of someone that isn't doing what we maybe think they should, Lord, the social media platform of criticizing God, that, that needs to go because I don't believe that's pleasing to you. And Lord, these, these are people of God that, that claim to be following you and seem like their mission is to criticize. And God, I pray that instead of being having a spirit of criticism, that we would just be praying and learning our lessons well and encouraging. So God, walk with us. We're in the Kareth Ravine. Walk with us during this time as we learn the lessons you've prepared for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.